Hey, podcast listeners, this podcast is from an Instagram live that Dr. Adam Conroy and myself, Cody Creelman, did a couple days ago. Uh, we kind of bro out for a while, uh, but it was still super fun, and we are just so passionate about veterinary medicine. I got some great comments back already on Instagram about this, uh, people who have been feeling kind of down in the dumps about the profession and, and we're just, we love it so much and we just hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Seven Summit Society Podcast. We're a team of veterinary professionals dedicated to collaboration, mentorship, and great practice culture. We will inspire, educate, and thrive together with you to build a better future for practice ownership. We want to change the perception of what it means to own a veterinary hospital. It is financially attainable. It can happen with work-life balance, and it can be on your own terms. Join us now. Dr. Adam Conroy joining us live. Where is he? It's connecting now. There we go. Pat. This happened. It's happening. We got we got so many people on right now. We got people from Ontario, Colorado, uh, Northwest Ireland. Did you know, Dr. Adam, that dairy farms in Ireland often don't vaccinate their cows because the, the viral and bacterial risk level is so low because they're such good producers and they have, they have um, very um, contained herds on their dairy farms so they don't even have to vaccinate? I did know that. I did a epidemiology paper on that. Perfect. That um, has been published two times over. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about that. Oh, we got some Australians. Uh, oh, we, uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah. We got, do we got Nova Scotia, UK, Bristol, UK vet school. So we got farmers, we got uh, vet students, we got veterinarians, we got everybody joining us tonight. So let, uh, you're jumped on the, uh, the 7S count. So why don't you introduce yeah. yourself to the crew and then uh, for the 7S people that are joining, um i'll i'll give everybody a quick background sounds good i'm uh for those that don't know me i'm i'm dr adam conroy i'm out of chicago i um am a small practice owner we own multiple practices around chicago i um teamed up with cody here we had a a brainchild moment my partner and i dr dan mark Walder, on just how can we empower young vets how can we inspire young vets to um, not only set the goal of becoming a practice owner, but also to make that a reality. So we created what is now known as 7S Society. We also have Daniel Snout from Snout School as our, our fourth partner on that. So I've had the privilege of working side by side with Cody here and bringing our large animal and small animal minds together to hopefully inspire the next generation of veterinarians and currently practicing veterinarians. So um it's been a fun Wait, ride, obviously. You're, you're still practicing? You haven't retired yet? <laughs> That's cute. We don't do that <laughs> in small animal. In small animal, we work till we're 70. We don't, we don't quickly retire in our, our 30s. I'm just joking. One person asked before you got on, um, am I ever returning back to practice? And of course I am. This was not a retirement. That's just a joke. We have plans. Cody's coming into the small animal world. We're going to do a – we're going to bring his – brainstorm power and we're gonna we're gonna take over the small animal world here so i'm just waiting for you you have no idea how 
how uh, envious and jealous I am of you being like a superstar small animal veterinarian in the heart of Chicago, just just working like crazy every day, fixing fixing uh, cruciate dogs and all the other popping dog abscesses and and chopping off bulldog tails. I, I envy you, Adam. I absolutely envy were you. you. Were you envying me when you're driving around half the country that I've never seen, not working <laughs> and enjoying all your free time off? Well, my, my vacation was not planned. Uh, my vaccine, <laughs> it was it was not planned at all. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I love practice. There's, there's, it, it is the whole of veterinary medicine is what I'm passionate about. It is not, and, and this is what I get from you, and this is what I get from Dan, is it's not necessarily that you're passionate about doing surgery. Your true passion, my true passion, is the whole of veterinary medicine, right? It's the yeah, business. Agreed. It's the people. It's the students. It's the history. It is the future. It is every aspect of veterinary medicine. We just kind of like, landed into cow vet or or small animal life it was not you know it was not we chased that specific thing because to me it would really wouldn't matter i would i would love i wanted to be a horse vet i i won the small animal orthopedics award in vet school i love cat medicine like it wasn't it wasn't cow specifically it just that's how it ended up but you gotta remember it all starts I, whether you do cow, horses, small animal, what you do, we all start the same, right? It starts with the same appreciation, love for the profession. And the reason I've aligned myself with people like you and Dan and, and we're doing social media stuff like this is oftentimes that original passion gets lost because what happens is you start going down these rabbit holes. You start being influenced by these outside people. You start realizing more of the negative things as opposed to the positive, right? I mean, you and I could spit here for five hours and just show you how much we love this profession and how many great opportunities there are, but we maybe will reach 1% of the population. That's what breaks my heart. I mean, I would love to get in every single vet's ear and go, look, you made the right choice. This is kick ass. It's what you make of it. Small animal, large animal, doesn't matter. You and I have very similar paths where we both came out hungry as shit. We were going to take this profession by by the cojones and we were gonna that's dan's favorite one there and uh and we were gonna run with it. it doesn't matter it's like anything in life it's absolutely what you make of it do you have the desire to do well are you persistent enough to make it happen and then go after it so you and me are very similar granted our trades are different but our our work ethic our end goals our love for the profession they're all the same that's why um 7S has been such a fun project to to bang ideas off each other, right? Absolutely. Somebody just asked if I um if I have all my CE credits up to date. Absolutely I do. And uh even though even though I'm not practicing, I still spend nearly every waking minute doing something within veterinary medicine. Uh today all day was was it was different aspects of veterinary medicine, whether that I was doing something on on my consulting services or consulting with a vet another veterinarian. I, I was working with a very complex case, talking to another veterinarian, doing stuff with mentorship like what this 7S stuff is. 
planning for for what my future plans are within veterinary medicine like and i just love it so much it's, it's not it doesn't have to do with sticking my arm up a cow's butt all day that's what we do in in cow vet medicine but like it's there's nothing else that i would that i would rather do now i'll give you two two examples or just kind of things that that have been on my mind so so one was I was just contacted on LinkedIn by a a uh, designer. Okay, so she is a professional designer, and uh, she has a, a degree in design. She works in commercial design, and she's got a passion for veterinary medicine. Right? She hasn't done her prerequisites yet, so she's like a pre pre vet. She had a great GPA. She's sitting at like a three point seven GPA, and um, she she. I, I, she's asking like, what is the next step? What, you know, how, how do you get your foot in the door? And then also like, is, is this worth it? Right? So that's, that's the big question. And then I was talking to another mentee of mine who is a pre-vet because I kind of paired these two together. So this pre-pre-vet and this current pre-vet, I thought they would be a great fit together to, to give this pre-vet an option, uh, an opportunity to be a mentor uh, because she's been a mentee of, of mine over the last year. And, and then me and her started having this conversation about like, how do you, how do you tell somebody about how hard their journey is going to be and, and not like make it seem super easy and like, yeah, you got to be a veterinarian, but like, let them know how hard it is. But on the flip side, let them know that it's also amazing. Like, how do you, how do you approach that? It's, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's comparable examples, right? I mean, you look at, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people on here watch it, but I'm from Chicago, right? And they just had this whole series called The Last Dance on ah, Michael Jordan and all that. But, episodes. but what most people... Who Michael Jordan is. I couldn't figure out for the... Like, I had no idea. He played basketball. Dan, Dan he's always you gotta keep talking. That. He's always talking about this Michael Jordan. I had never heard of her before. But now it turns out that, <laughs> that was in basketball. So, but the, he... Most people know only about his successes, right? They know that this guy has multiple championships, best player. What was great about that series was you could see all the hardships. You could see the long, hard road it took to get there, as opposed to you see the snapshot of, ah, you know, I want to be like that guy. And then you're pissed when you don't become him because you realize how hard it really is. So back to the root of your question. I mean, I have mentees all the time and I explain to them, look, the road I'm going to put you through, you told me where you want to go. You want to be a practice owner. You want to do this. I'm telling you through experience, there's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some emotional up and downs. There's going to be some resentment maybe you have towards me throughout this process, but we will get you to the end of this journey. Now, the people that don't aren't willing to go on that journey end up compromising. What are they compromised for? Some crap version of what they originally wanted. So regardless of what you choose in life, not to get on my high horse, if it's something worthwhile and something that other people admire and other things that reap uh, fortunes and all that, you're going to go through some shit to get there. So our journeys, Cody, were hard for us. But I think the best part about mentorship is I can help you avoid a lot of things I went through. Now, some of the things you're going to have to go through yourself, some of the surgical up and downs, uh, disgruntled clients, um, financial hardships. But some of the things of me going to a bank and not knowing what the hell I was talking about, we can help avoid that. A brick and mortar clinic and me not knowing how to negotiate prices, 
again, a good mentor can help you with. So I think it's any good mentor is open and honest and basically says, this is going to be a long freaking road. I'm not going to hand you shit. I mean, this isn't going to be, you're going to be making millions and here you go. You can make millions, but here are the things you have to do to do that. Why isn't every vet a millionaire? They're not willing to put in the hard work and time to do it. It's that simple. Is it possible? Yes. That's why guys like you and me are sitting here going, look, if you're willing to bust your ass, have a dream, align yourself with the right people, that's it. That's all you need. Put your head down and grind it and it will happen. Not in a year. Absolutely. I So, so tongue in cheek, I don't follow sports at all. So the Michael Jordan reference is lost on me, but I am. That is, that means you don't watch any, like that. That's not something to admit. That means you live in a freaking igloo, man. Like it's okay. So the first, like, how, like, there's people in Zimbabwe that don't have TV that are wearing Michael Jordan jerseys. Like, okay. I don't. For my first three years of practice, I like when I would show up to a farm and a farmer was trying to talk to me about hockey. I would just, I would pretend I'd be like, oh yeah, great, great game last night. <laughs> Dude, get out of here! What you- they really, they really scored some big ones last night, and then finally, you know, and like my fourth year of practice, I was just like, I hate sports. <laughs> Like 10, 10 people just dropped off when you said that. They said, this guy, this guy's but a freaking wash. I'm currently reading uh, a Jeff Bezos book. So the rise of Amazon, which completely parallels the last dance in terms of uh, all we see today is the, the final result. You see the Michael Jordan uh, championships. You see Jeff Bezos on his way to be the first person worth $1 trillion. That just came out a couple days ago that he's on track to be the first trillionaire. But 99% of what Jeff Bezos did was an absolute failure. You would be shocked at how many of his great ideas, of his endeavors, of the billions of dollars that he wasted. But but he had that, that singular dream of creating the everything store, of selling everything to everybody, to be consumer obsessed. And, and it was constant failure. And I think about my day today, the vast majority of the things that I worked on today will be or were absolute failures. They, there was hardships. It was things that weren't going my way. And like, I, I can't even think about the last time that like something was just easy because it's never easy for anyone, even on this side of things, uh, trying to get into to vet med versus being a practicing veterinarian or a practice owner. It is always hard. Well, think about it. I mean, anything easy, is it worth bragging about? Is it something anybody can't like I can go outside and play my eight year old in a basketball game and kick his ass. I mean, that's easy, but am I going to brag about it? Is that something people are going to look at me and admire and go, wow, he does something I can't. The things that are very difficult are those outliers, the Michael Jordan, the Jeff Bezos. These guys are doing things that just the smartest people in the world haven't done, not because they're not willing to try. It's a lot of times they they cut short, and that absolutely parallels veterinary medicine. I've said this a 100 times. I have no empathy for people and piss them on about this profession and blame it and say, here's everything that's wrong with it. And you can't make any money. I feel like it's my job to defend it because that's total bullshit. I mean, you are, we are all handed the exact same gift upon graduation. You're handed this little 
beautiful gift of, of a DVM. We all have it. Doesn't matter how you got there, C's or A's, or you volunteered, you didn't. We all walk out with the same thing. So we all have the same opportunity. It's what opportunities you put yourself. People aren't lucky. Luck is bullshit. I mean, lucky ultimately comes to somebody put themselves in the right situation at the right time and things let up for a good thing to happen, right? So it's not, ah, Dr. Dan Marco, they're so lucky. That guy busts his ass. I mean, that guy puts in 120 hours a week. I mean, the guy's up at 6 a.m., goes to bed at midnight, deserves everything he has. I will self-admittedly say that guy's work ethic, I, I try to keep up with but it's one where it is very difficult to do so. In which case, is my expectation to have all the same riches and all the same glories that he has? I can't have that expectation if I can't maintain that 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 style of work. The point is, everybody's different. Nobody should follow your path, my path, just because this is what we got as an end result. We chose our respective paths because we love it. We felt good about it. I continue to get goosebumps doing what I do. That's why I do it. But I would tell anybody right now, if you go in and you have this distaste, this hate, this resentment, stop. I mean, stop right there because it's it's not sustainable. And inevitably, you're either just going to be negative energy for somebody else or cumulatively nothing good's going to happen. So stop, reassess, ask yourself why you got into this to begin with. If you could have your craziest imagination come true in this profession, what would it be? Find some like-minded people that support that view and can help you do it and then freaking rock and roll. But don't piss them on and stay in the same path. I just, I did a consult with this person in Minnesota. I definitely won't say names, but sat there for 45 minutes telling me everything wrong about their job and getting paid shit. And this is, it's that. And I said, that's great. But what do you want to do? And they said, I want to do this and I want to do that. And at the end of this, I provided them with an opportunity and said, look, I can help facilitate a situation. I have some some associates and some things in play where ironically, I could make all your things come true. And they paused. An hour later, called me back and said, you know, I think I'm just gonna stay where I am. No empathy for that. There, there, were, there was an out, there was an opportunity, there was a hope, no guarantee, but at least something different than what you've been pissing and moaning about. And they chose to say no. Why? Because people hate change. Because change is uncomfortable, it's cool. unpredictable. Tell me about it. I retired at age 34. <laughs> it was the hardest thing I ever yeah. did. It was so scary. I, t I talked about this in our in our sessions, right? About change uh, during our 7S sessions about what I had to do to pump up and and get you know get the the motivation to be able to to actually do the hard things. It is so easy to do the easy thing to to not change and then to piss and moan but i had to i had to i was like listening to to hardcore eminem rap every single day uh going to the gym and just like fighting against the weights just just losing my mind trying to do this like scary thing i was terrified i was absolutely terrified to leave to leave my practice it was it was so hard but what other option do you have what like i i'm not going to complain about it uh, you you had two options stay or or don't or change things and, and hope for the best it is so scary are you on no i know you're i know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask it like i don't are you on the facebook group of uh it's like veterinary financial 
Facebook group. It, that's like what it's called. I can't remember the exact name, but it's like a, a vet financial group. No. Are you on this? Okay. No. Every day I'm feeling guilty when you're talking about standing up for the profession because I feel like I should stand up for the profession more in this group. Because it, what it is, is it's just a group of veterinarians talking about financing, basically how to position their student loans and pay off their student loans. And, and there is, there is, it is the most negative group in the world. It is when, when some of the loan forgiveness was, stu- was starting to happen in the U.S., uh, because of COVID, right? There were some like announcements that some of the student loans might be forgiven. These people were losing their minds because it was because veterinary medicine uh, student loans weren't forgiven overnight because of this. And I, I didn't say anything, but but like it is just constant pissing and moaning about what their student loan is and how long it's going to take them to pay off. But but you and I know veterinarians who had graduated four hundred thousand dollars in student debt and paid it off in five years. Like, yeah. For sure. Like so, I don't. I don't get where. Like, is do they just not know? Has nobody ever told them that if you worked hard enough and strategized, and yeah, you can't. Well, it, you can't live in in the middle of Montana and in one vet practice and and no clients and and pay off four hundred thousand dollars. But you can move. You can do something. You can create something. I I created the. The Cow Boss, my digital consulting platform, and it was great. Like you have, you have a bazillion options, but I don't, I don't, I don't get into fights on that group. I just kind of passively watch and. Yeah, but it goes back to what we were just saying. I mean, what's easier? This hope of somebody saying these loans may be forgiven. There's an easy out. This is in five years. My buddy told me that they're going to drop the rates to X. Uh, if you only make X amount or you do this, that's easy. That's passive. The way I look at it is if passive things are going to happen, government forgives, that's great. You can't control it whether it happens or not. I would assume it's not going to happen. What can I do assuming this this isn't going to happen to me? I'm going to bust my ass and try and pay these off as quick as possible, right? So big, big picture stuff that's like anything. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with with luck. And I want to reference here because um, Shaha Calvet made a comment, and, and I, I think that's a valid comment. You said um, we're all handed the same degree, but the universities don't prepare us, so luck plays a part. What I meant by that is we all get that degree. The university does provide us a certain amount. It's what are you doing in the interim? I didn't sit in vet school and just graduate and, and hope. I was going to be handed something prior to even graduation. I did everything in my power to prepare myself. I took part in every single surgical club I could. I took practice management classes. I did gazillion externships. I did all these things. So upon graduation, I put myself in play for certain situations to happen. So when my dream of becoming a practice owner, I wasn't going to just get a job and hope it happened. I strategically throughout vet school, tried to find the place I wanted to go. So yes, once I was handed my degree, I went there, did certain things. And when that opportunity happened and I became a partner, do I think that was luck? No, I think I put myself in the right place. Do I think lucky things happen? Sure. People win lotteries, certain things. So to a certain degree, I'm saying nothing's lucky, but from the perspective of an expectation that some people have a good and some people don't, 
I think it all comes back to what are you doing for yourself, not your classmate. What are you doing for yourself to put yourself? Because lucky is a perception too. I mean, Cody could say, I got the best cow fit, cow job ever. Great. That means nothing to me. I don't see that as lucky. I see that as, oh my God, that's something I want to do. I could say, oh my God, I had this catastrophic uh, fracture fall on my lap today and I get to do that. Most people would see that as a disaster. I see that as a great opportunity. Now, was that lucky that that happened? No, I put myself in a position where I enjoy doing surgery. I have a decent amount of referral that comes that way. So those things, when they happen, I've done things to get those things in play, right? But Cody, back to your point too, as far as these groups and this negative energy, I just, I, I, I stay away from stuff like that. So, I mean, if so I smelled I feel, that for 10 seconds. So I feel a little bit, I feel a little bit guilty, but so this is a story I don't talk about often. Okay. So you're, you're drawing it out. Is of this that, is this that time in Chicago with the homeless person? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this isn't that story. I, um, <laughs> so I, I graduated this ties in nicely. So, so I feel like I have a hard time maybe speaking up for the profession because of, of my, uh, when we're talking about student loans and stuff like that, because I graduated with $12,000 in student debt. I paid that off within the first couple of months and that was it. So you would think, oh, Cody, you're really lucky that you only graduated with $12,000 in student debt. What, what people don't know is, is I grew up under the poverty line. Like I, I grew up with a single mom and my little sister in an old house with secondhand clothes. And I came from absolute nothing. My mom was too proud for welfare. She busted her ass. I came from absolutely as dirt poor as you could ever get. I don't talk about it often, right? I worked, you won't, people listening will not believe this, but in university, I would go and work construction jobs in the summertime and I would work seven days a week from the last day of school to the first day of school all summer long, the four, the four months straight. And I would work 100 hours a week working construction. And people won't believe that, but my paychecks were every two weeks were over 200 hours every paycheck. And that's how I paid for, that's how I paid for my, my undergraduate. That's how I paid for vet school. And, and, and I, I did, I did get lucky. I, I married uh, in vet school. My wife worked. She, she had an outstanding $30,000 a year job. So, so we were just rolling in the dough at that point. Right. I remember <laughs> our, uh, our weekly grocery bills were, were $30 a week. And this isn't that long ago with $30 a week. Uh, we went on two vacations. Uh, we drove to the Montana State Fair once, and we drove to the North Dakota State Fair once. And that that's how I graduated with only 12000 in, in student debt. I, I busted my ass in, in school. I was able to, I, I got a scholarship in my final year that paid for that year's tuition. So I got my final year paid for because I was the top large animal student or cow student in my class so that took care of that tuition that wasn't lucky that i freaking busted my ass for for that for that scholarship and and i wasn't and i've i've talked to vet students or or new associates that have graduated with the $200,000 student loan and the $300,000 student loan. And they should live their life. They absolutely should live their life. But when I ask about like things that they've done, they've like gone on like unpaid 
one month trips to, to China for experience and they go to Ibiza and they go to Mexico and they go to Hawaii, like then they travel and they, they don't like get, get a job that actually pays in the summertime because they're, they're trying to get more experience. I didn't have any experience. I, I still got into vet school. Uh, the only time that I worked at a vet clinic when I was 16 years old and I never stepped into another vet clinic until I was a veterinarian. Why? Because the pay was shit. So I, I didn't go back as a student because the pay was shit. I got all my experience in, in, in my in vet school, but I worked hard for that. So, so that's like, that is to your point that I, you know, I, I feel bad talking about student, student debt loads because I was able to graduate with such a low amount that it's almost embarrassing to talk about. But on the flip side, I worked for it. Like I, I, I paid it off. I didn't do the fun things. But I think that's the same. Everybody could say, well, I'm not willing to do that. I mean, my journey was a little bit different. I grew up to not, not a ton of wealth. I mean, my parents both busted their ass, but I was, I was never the kid with the new Nikes and all that, but that, that provided hunger. It told me what I, I wanted, but my thing was almost a different route, but the same purpose is, I took on student loans. I had a ton. I had undergrad. I had vet. I married a vet. She had student loans. So we had cumulative debt. So my thing was throughout vet school in the spirit of I wanted to maximize my um, experience. You're absolutely right. I took that. I'm going to work with a guy, learn everything I can about this profession to truly find out what it is I truly want. I sacrificed making that good money you were making. So you're right. The pay was absolute shit. Upon graduation, I flipped it. I did have a ton of debt, but that made me hungrier to chop that down right out of vet school. So my goal was within four or five years, I'm going to pay off my wife and my my student Wait, debt. You pay off now, your wife? Did you just say you have to pay off your wife? Did you buy your right. wife? I'm still buying my wife. So it's <laughs> I, I she's not she's not completely paid oh, off. Your, yet, wife, your wife's a veterinarian too. You paid you okay, you you paid down her student debt loan. <laughs> And I, and I paid her. How much did she cost? It depends, depends <laughs> what, day the, what day of the week it is. But, but it was, it provided that hunger coming out of vet school of, I don't want it. I don't want that looming debt. Now, it didn't hinder me. It didn't say, I have this. I'm not capable of accomplishing X, Y, and Z. To me, it was the means of why I wanted to be a practice owner even quicker. I'm going to bust my ass. I want to be a practice owner. So A, I could have some input. I could start getting some distributions. I could loot the business world. I'm going to work any freaking hour I could. I mean, there was a stretch where I would work a 12-hour shift, go work an ER shift, come back, work a 12-hour shift, take a night off, work a 12-hour ER. Same thing. There was weeks I was working 80, 92 hours a week, but it was all with, it's not sustainable, but it was for the mere purpose of I set myself a goal and I was going to check off that goal and nothing was going to get my path. Did I passively wait for the loans to just dissolve? No. I looked at that little interest that was starting to accumulate. Now, this is where people will get pissed. I locked my interest rate in at like 1.96. I mean, we were back when the interest was darn near free money. So I think if anything, people coming out with these interest rates now are silly business that that work ethic should be even twice as hungry to get that paid down. The point is this, you and me doing this, are you capable of paying that student debt off quicker without working 100 hours a week? Absolutely. 
lost why 7s was created i think practice ownership is it, it, it's not for everybody but it is a tool that could absolutely allow you financial freedom um I mean, most we have partners right now that are working 40, 50 hours a week, making well over $250,000 a year. So this misconception that it's a give and take, you're a practice owner, but you're working 89 hours a week, that's, that's bullshit. It's how it used to be when I started, but with all these models of partnerships and all that now, no, you take on some leadership responsibility, you learn proper delegation, you surround yourself with a good infrastructure and team. I, to me, it's a no brainer. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a means to an end, but it ultimately comes back to what the hell it is you want. Maybe that's not for you. Maybe I, I was talking to one of my doctors the other day. She's killing it. I mean, she's going to do well over $100,000 this month on um, production. And I'm like, you just, you don't seem money motivated. I get excited about your ACTs and your production. She's like, you know what? It, it's, it's not that. She's like, it's the sense of the culture and the community. And she's like, I truly love what I do. Don't get me wrong. I like my paychecks, but that's not my fuel. And it it's awesome. It's not to say, I mean, some people are merely just motivated by the buck, but she was your classic younger millennial where it was all about the culture and she feels like she's doing, she's serving a purpose. She's part of something that's bigger. She loves that we mentor. She loves that she's part. And what does she do for me? She helps contribute to that culture that we're so proud of. She's one of the beacons of you come in there, she's that Bryce bubbly face, and she's everything you would love about veterinary medicine. It breaks my heart when I see some of these externs go and they have vets telling them, don't be a vet, this sucks. It just infuriates me because that just tells me all about the culture where those people are, right? Yes. But here's, here's a great comment. Uh, hey, guys, how about something more than patting yourselves on, on your back? Isn't that lovely? This is, this is why... This is why I, I wouldn't te usually tell that story because I get how it sounds, right? I, yeah. Saying that you re worked really, really hard so you had low student debt load and then people are upset that you're patting yourself on, on the back. Whereas, whereas three seconds ago, I said I fail at 99% of everything that I do. I, I absolutely suck at 99% at of things. I try hard and they fail and, and I just keep working hard. So I don't know. Well, like, where do you, where do you go? From, where do you go from there? No, I think to that <laughs> point. Inspirational and then, and then you're seen as, as egotistical that, uh, that you worked hard. No, and I, I can get that. And, and I think I applaud your honesty for that. I mean, I think our stories are simply trying to be hope and show you that what we've accomplished. Normally we do these talks in private. We call each other up and tell each other how awesome we are, but we decided just to make it, make it public. But hey, no, for hey, the full sake of transparency. Every time, in private, every time we're in private, you just tell me how weird I am. <laughs> it's only with the homeless people in Chicago. It's not a... No, but full honesty. I mean, I have a speaking openly and honestly, I mean, I have a case right now where I handled this case exactly how I've handled cases for 16 years. And there was um, an owner that we didn't necessarily see eye to eye. I have my version of, of what I've done for 16 years and been successful with, and she has a different version and she's taking on legal action. And that's the reality of you can't please everybody. And to Cody's point, I definitely have my downs. I mean, I, I, I have been doing this long enough where whether it's, uh, uh, 
technician pulling me aside, a CSR, one of my partners and somebody saying, look, I mean, here's something you're doing wrong or something I disagree. I think that's part of being humble. I mean, I would say I, this is a, a unique forum where we're sitting here talking openly. I, I think we rarely do this. I mean, to Cody's point, my story about growing up with not a lot of money and six, it's merely trying to be a sense of hope. I think if anything, just tell you guys, you hear so much negative about people that just say everything that's wrong with this profession. I think every so often it's, it's, it's awesome to hear some success stories and go, I want to, I want to be like that. How can I do it? That's why we're sitting here at nighttime away from our kids talking to all you guys on here, just to bebop stuff off you guys and be a beacon of hope. Yeah, I was with a, I was with a group of students uh, right right before this pandemic um, started. So I was down in the U.S. I was talking to a group of students, and I don't know if I've ever seen such a deflated bunch for the future. So down on what the, their job opportunities were, worried about corporate consolidation, the the starting wages that some of them were were talking about or the starting wages that that some of them have now contacted me when we've when i've mentored them through contact contract negotiation it's just like it, it just tears my heart out how deflated they were and i i guess you know we'll take it that that there's got to be a positive beacon of hope in the profession uh, it's there's been so much womp womping for so long it's like this self-perpetuating womp womp fest within within veterinary medicine that and it's just not true that the the negative side gets all of the all of the attention then the negative side on social media gets amplified and it's just it's not the case it's just not true there's so many people out there that are are happy and fulfilled and doing well and not drowning in in yes. four hundred thousand dollars in student debt so i i think one thing dan and i talk about a lot is understanding where the profession is right now right you have a lot of the haves and the have-nots the reality is majority of the practices right now are owned by the boomers the, the old rich white guys. These are the guys you guys typically don't see. These are the guys at the VMG meetings and behind the scenes doing deals at the uh, WVCs and the, the, what, the they Denmark. Do deals from, they do behind the scenes deals? Yeah, these are all the, the gentlemen's handshakes. I mean, I was at a conference where I was sitting across from a guy that just sold a group of praxis for upwards of multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And you hear this and go, Jesus Christ, that's happening in our profession. My point is you have those guys and then you have these young grads coming out and these young grads want, but a lot of these older guys aren't willing to give because it's basically, I've made these, pulling the curtain back, you have an extremely successful practice. You gross over three, four, $5 million a year those are the ones where corporate consolidators and private equities are salivating and they're willing to offer you, let's call it 10, 11, 12 caps, 12 times what we call your EBITDA. You as a vet student want to work for this guy and buy his practice, you may be able to offer him two, three, maybe four cap. So the tough part there is these guys, money speaks and they go, I love you. I respect you. I'll string you along for some years. 
But at the end of the day, I'm going to sell out and do that. And the tough part is they leave a lot of these young people hanging. So who do these young people have to look up to, right? So where's that mix in between those two coming together? And that's what is the beauty of my partnership with Dan Markwalders. He's one of those old rich white guys, and he'll self-admittedly tell you. I mean, he's the he's proverbial boomer, but he has a sense of wanting to inspire that next generation. I can relate to the young generation. So bridging those two together and showing you that these guys can provide opportunity for these younger groups and bringing those two together, I think that in itself will be a huge shift for our profession. Dan's behind the scenes talking to these guys at BMG meetings doing that going, look, you guys got to work on these young vets coming out of school aren't simply here to make you richer. A lot of them have the same ambitions that you do. So my encouragement is rather than you string these vets along, either start providing them partnerships, help them see how they can um, pay their student debt down, but they just don't get it. They see it as I used to work a hundred hours a week and God damn it. If these young bucks that are privileged aren't willing to do that, well, shit, they, they don't deserve what I have. It's different times. And we have to accept the fact that it's different times and you don't have to work a hundred hours a week to do it. So there are movements and conversations to be trying to bring these two bridges of people together because the reality is most of these boomer clinics within the next 10 years will probably be 200 250,000 clinics for sale and a lot of these guys will be retiring that is a lot of potential for young graduates but the one thing i warn every young grad when you have a guy go yeah come work for me and you can buy my clinic someday that's that's a, that's a scary thing and a lot of times that doesn't pan out the path we like to provide is more of a come work for us, let us mentor you and let us help you find an opportunity or let us partner with you to make the clinic of your dreams. I mean, that is a realistic, clear thing that both people can commit to and see and feel. It's a win-win. Absolutely a win-win relationship. Yes. What somebody somebody mentions um, somebody mentions COVID here. So, what does post-pandemic veterinary medicine look like within this vein of co corporate consolidation, hundreds of thousands of boomers retiring with limited succession plan? What are you What are you seeing down there? What is What is going on? Has there been practice closures already? It, are the poorly managed practices? Uh, not able to weather the storm? Uh, are, is, are, is private equity scared? What, what, what does, has it accelerated the predestined future of veterinary medicine, whatever that may look like? Like what, what do you think, it, where do you think it all ends up now post pandemic? I think it depends where you are, right? I mean, I think from a private equity perspective, I think a lot of their, their capital, and you got to remember a lot of these merger acquisition companies that are acquiring all these, they're backed by a lot of private equity money. And a lot of those people are, are scared right now. I mean, a lot of that money's coming off Wall Street and these big banks and a lot of them, those crazy cap rates you hear about, I mean, some of those are going down. Isn't your as far as from negative interest rates right now? I, th I think you guys are moving to negative interest rates. We're pretty damn close. Um, but from a, a, a practice owner perspective, yes, they, there are some of those one, two doctor practices that still are probably staying fairly stable, um, especially with these COVID restrictions, because right now you can only see so many people. 
I mean, I have a clinic that normally we're running with four or five doctors. We got people coming in and out, boarding, grooming. I mean, it's just, it's a madhouse. We're restricted right now because we can only have our techs go out to the car and grab so many people. So when the gates open, we are just now pretty much plateauing from the hit in March that trickled into April. May should be, and then June, I think it's going to be big. for a larger practice. And I speak nationally for a lot of larger practices, future bows well. As far as um, young graduates and where they are and how this is going to play out is I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think some people are a little bit nervous hiring right now, but as I just said, a lot of the larger practices are plateauing and now back to hiring and, and needing staff and going from there. So me, I'm an optimist. I mean, the future, the future is bright. And if you're a young graduate or young vet, I think coming out of this, these are going to be very exciting times and a lot of potential for sure. So as I've said before, it, it's what kind of mindset you have. Are you going to remain optimistic or are you going to... Um, kind of hide behind the fact that these are very unpredictable times and I'm going to wait to see what happens. I, I encourage you from doing that. And I would, I would keep your, your, your core goals and I would stay committed to what you want to do and it, align yourself with a lot of people that are going to help you do that. And I think we're going to come out, come out just fine. Well, I think, I think doesn't, doesn't Dr. Dan say when everybody else does one thing, he does, he does the other thing. Right. So I think totally true. I, I, I agree as well. It is, it is scary times. There's, there's no, um, there's no way around that. Uh, but from a corporate consolidation standpoint, this is not unique to veterinary medicine. This happens in every single industry that has ever existed in the history of business. There is businesses that roll up and create, uh, you know, these, these very large entities Typically, if you look at the history of business, uh, the, the maximum that can ever be rolled up is around 60% before you start getting into antitrust situations, uh, you start getting into some regulatory issues. So, and, but what then happens is niche opportunity. And I think that is something that people should always keep in the back of their mind, is, or maybe in the forefront of their mind during this time is is that's what happens in these industries. And, and then that erodes the consolidators market share. Uh, so you have, you have niche opportunity. Now is the time where if you are the, the uh, you only do black cat medicine. You, all you see, if, if it's got a spot of white on it, you will not touch it. You only do black cat medicine or you are only uh, catering to super bougie uh, Danielle Lambert style uh, uh, pet owners who take their dog to Spain and to yoga classes and like having yappy hours at the local vet clinic. You know, those are the, those are the all kind of unique things and niche uh, types of ideas that will be successful in the future. And, and if uh, interest rates are low, then that's a great time for people to, to jump in and uh, look at those types of opportunities. But I totally get it. it uh, nobody knows what this is going to look like. Is the U.S. in a recession? Is it in the start of a depression? What, what, does that, what does that look like? But historically, it doesn't last forever, right? 
it uh, there is always light at the end of the tunnel and those who are bold uh, will will certainly be rewarded handsomely some 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 won't but but most will yeah I think it goes back to two I mean things like this happen I mean they're probably gonna happen again not necessarily a covid but call it a recession or other variables what are you doing as a, a practicing vet if not a practice owner to prepare yourself for these times how strong is your your infrastructure how strong is your culture all those things are extremely important right now but one other thing too that there's a major shift i would say at our monthly kpi meetings for years it was a shortage of that technicians and doctors i would say in these last two months it's been a polar flip where it used to be you get two three CVT now you get 18 applications and it, it's a total shift. So the things we worried about now are um, I'm not going to say on the back burner, but are, are it's kind of shifting a little bit from the standpoint of who's in control of uh, we're not as desperate. And I hate the word desperate, but yeah, a groomer. I mean, groomers are friggin' hard to find, and I mean we've gotten two groomers in the past two weeks. So these are opportunities were jumping all over and we're, we're ready to go. I mean, like I said, Illinois happens to be one of the most restrictive state. I think we're one of two states that are still fully at stay at home. Um, but come June, hopefully we shift into phase three here and we can start opening our doors a bit. And again, Dan and I are optimists. I see this as an opportunity. And, and again, to parallel this with any large animal, um, ambulatory, I think it's everything. You got to look at the future and what that holds for your business and what are you doing to proactively put yourself in the best position. But I can't speak to large animal as much as you, but um, I know there's a lot of parallels. Well, it's just, yeah, just, just the other part of that is also marketing. Um, it still drives me insane uh, how limited most uh, small animal veterinary uh, clinics marketing strategies are in creation of a real brand right to create create real brand awareness to create uh you know that 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 attachment uh to the clinic to the veterinarians to the vet techs to the to the front staff there there's so much opportunity in terms of marketing that is still up for grabs and and that's where where um, independently owned veterinary clinics can truly shine because it doesn't necessarily take dollars to do that kind of marketing. It just takes a, a bit of elbow grease. And I, uh, I, I, I have this, if Illinois ever gets out of, of quarantine, I would, I'm so excited to come down and I'm going to bring my vlog camera and I'm going to follow you around for a week straight. And we're going to make the best small animal vlogs yeah. that have ever been created. Done. Done. Absolutely. We'll knock it out of the park, my man. We're going to... I'm, I'm taking your word. Everybody. I'm going to fly a drone in your clinic. I'm going to fly a drone in your surgery. Done. <laughs> and then what we'll do to celebrate, we'll come up and we'll kayak in that little uh, Alberta <laughs> pond that I sent you. That's right. We'll, I, still we'll have a little, I still haven't located it yet, but I went out hiking uh, this past weekend. Everything's fantastic. So I, yeah, hopefully we'll be, we'll be back to traveling or some semblance of it soon.
Oh my God, I, I can only dream. But hey, buddy, well, I got to get going. This, uh, this was a blast. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, if anybody has any questions that they uh, didn't feel comfortable asking, uh, certainly always reach out to us. Uh, DM Adam, DM myself, and uh, we will see you guys next time.